Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. It is time for another edition of Female First, which means we are once again joined by our good friend and colleague, Eves. Hello, Eves. Hello there. I am excited to be back again. Happy day before Turkey Day. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, I am here for the the quality time I will get to spend with myself (laughs) this holiday. (laughs) (laughs) But I I don't think I'll be eating that much. I don't know about y'all. I'm not prepared. Yeah, so I just realized, honestly, that I don't really have the groceries to make any kind of feast because I'm not going anywhere either. It's just going to be myself and my partner. So it's kind of like, okay, canned soup. Happy happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. I'm down to my I'm down to my last like frozen pizzas. <gasps> it's dire straits. You've been eating frozen pizzas too. <laughs> I've been eating Love frozen pizzas for the last week. They're like on cauliflower crust and they have like vegan meat on them. Oh, <laughs> so how's nice. that? Um I mean, it's still not a high standard. I mean, they make them sound like it's fancy, but it's still frozen pizza. But I mean Yeah. It works and it's easy. And you know, I feel like uh, these times are hard, you know? Those are delicious. And sometimes, especially in a pinch, I like that better than I do like some of the chain pizzas. So I'm okay yeah. with it. Yeah. It was funny because um, a couple a couple weeks ago, I was at the store and I, I like go, I go at 8 a.m. on a Wednesday or Thursday because apparently that's when there's the least people. So there's usually like 10 people in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm used to having my solitude, getting in and out really mm-hmm. quickly. And I was restocking my frozen food, and this woman asked to me, uh, "Are those any good?" And I had like this box of, I had like an armful of frozen food. And I dropped it all. It was, like screamed. She scared me. <laughs> I wasn't expecting anybody <laughs> Wait. to talk to me, and um, I was like, you know, they're fine. <laughs> Like, she, I don't know. If she, so, she scurries to pick up the <laughs> floor yeah. pizzas now. Are you are you one of those people who needs a basket or a cart but doesn't get one? Because this is this is what I do. I go in the store and I'm like, I got two, three things I'm going to get, and then mm-hmm. like I end up remember, oh no, I need baking soda too, and then I'm out of a basket mm-hmm. and I'm trying to be like, you know, a like you know a world-class weightlifter and, like, carry everything in my hands once yeah. I'm in the store. I do that less now because I do shop for, like, two weeks at a time, but I'm definitely somebody who would be like, I just need a basket, and I clearly, I needed more than a basket. Yeah. I'm, like, holding it all in. And I, like, walk to the store, too, so there's always that hanging over me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. I'm definitely That's one of those as well. I've learned my lesson. I think the last time I literally had to just put everything on the ground, go back to get a cart, and then come back because it was such a <laughs> like endeavor. So because mm. of that, since then I've learned that lesson and get the small cart because you know just in case. Yeah, my my older brother uh, was a bit of a prankster, and when he was in middle school, he would um, when we were at the store, he would put items in other people's carts, just like random items. And so now I'm really paranoid about just like not <laughs> keeping an eye on my cart or my Oh, basket. that's a good trick though. It's kind of like hard. It's very harmless and 
Yeah, you like get to the checkout and you're like, well, I don't remember getting this bag of Cheetos, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think that's what a lot of kids do to their parents. Like they'll never notice these 10 mm-hmm. candy bars that I put inside the basket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do like that True. trick too. Yeah. You like you think you're so sly. <laughs> well, this <laughs> I guess <laughs> has turned into grocery talk. I like it. It does consume a lot of my life now. I actually have a journal of how how long foods last. Oh, as that's I've cool. said. Yeah, cabbage. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It lasts forever. Yeah. I've noticed it that is. it lasts a long time. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. good tip. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a pro pro tip with the groceries these days. <laughs> but we're not just talking about groceries. Um, who did you bring for us today, Eve? Today we're going to be talking about Cassie Williams. So I know we talked about a little bit about her pronunciation before this, but I've heard different things on her pronunciation. So Cassie Williams and Kathy Williams, because it's also been spelled as Kathy Williams. So there's a little bit of confusion around the actual spelling of her name, but I'm just going to go with Cassie Williams for the rest of this episode because a bunch of people have pronounced it that way. So, yeah. And she was the only known Black woman Buffalo Soldier. Um, And a Buffalo Soldier was just a name that Native Americans gave to Black troops. Um, And she was so she was the first Black woman with documented service in the U.S. Army, where everyone assumed that she was assigned male at birth. Um, So I'm just going to say up front that we don't know Cassie Williams's gender identity. Like, and I know y'all know because y'all talk about so many people in the past who have whose stories we know, but who we don't have a lot of information about in terms of what they said about their own lives. And that's the case in Cathay Williams' story. (laughs) There's a lot Mm -hmm. that's kind of up in the air. And there has been stuff written about her and there has been interviews and stuff like that. But it's it's not that extensive. Um, We only know that she was assigned female at birth and that she referred to herself as a woman in interviews. But we don't know the ins and outs of her gender identity, as is the case with people in the past. And um, yeah, that's the case in in her story as well. Yeah, and actually, we have briefly talked about Cathay Williams before on a previous episode, and it was an episode we did on a history of women dressing as men to get into various fields they weren't allowed in, mm-hmm. and that's something we said in that one because you can't. It gets really tricky and murky yeah. because you can't say for sure without having um, the the history or evidence of them the person in question, what they what they identified as. And even in that case, sometimes those the terminology just wasn't there or it, it's yeah. just tricky. So yeah. yes, that's a good uh, disclaimer to put right at the top. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that also, and I, I think we can get into this a little bit later after we know more about her story, but that it also wraps into the conversation about firsts. So we're calling mm-hmm. her the first woman with documented service in the U.S. Army. And there's the, the typical caveat of first. It's like, okay, there's a whole history behind first. There are other people who did this. And a thing about this is, as you already know, because you've done an episode about this, but that there have been so many other people in the past, in the Civil War, and World War II, in all kinds of wars, and in militias, War of 1812, that also could have had various gender identities. There were trans people who we know have served in the military and also people who cross-dressed who served in the military and in militias. And some of those people were likely um, Black women. You know, some of those people were mm-hmm. um, Black queer people. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a long history of it. And for various reasons, those stories wouldn't be known or documented or talked about because mm-hmm. of privacy, because of 
harm that could be done when those stories are out because of personal choices for whatever those choices may be. Um, That person may have been determining their own gender identity. I mean, it can be so many different things. So... Yeah, it's the the caveat. This is a big, big, big asterisk on this, this first. <laughs> but um, we're gonna roll with it because I think it's worth. I think it's worth talking about Cathay Williams today. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's. You you ready to get into it, Eve? Yeah. Let's do it. So Cathay Williams was born to an enslaved mother and a free father in Independence, Missouri. So as I mentioned earlier, there's not a ton that's known about her life before she enlisted in the U.S. Army. As is the case with so many people, so many Black people specifically in the United States. Her birth year is often cited as 1844. It's also been cited as 1842. Um, But written record keeping was very neither here nor there. Like it's very all over the place back in the day. Um, And it was often inaccurate as well. But that's around, it's most often cited as 1844. Many of the other basic facts of her early life are unknown as well and not known to have been recorded, like the correct spelling of her name. So there is just a bunch of murkiness in terms of her story in that that way as well. But it has been reported that she was enslaved by William Johnson, who was a wealthy white farmer in Jefferson City. So I think this is where... um, It's a good time to get into some of the historical context of... Her life. Um, so we know the back. Well, let me not make any assumptions, but <laughs> um, the, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued in 1863 by President Abraham Lincoln. That was during the Civil War. And that emancipated some enslaved people, not all enslaved people in the states. Um, it emancipated people who, um, in states that have seceded from the United States, um, with many, many caveats. And the Civil War lasted from 1861 to 65. So there were Union forces that occupied Jefferson City in 1861. Cathay Williams was freed, I'm saying that with big air quotes, (laughs) (laughs) by Union forces um, because the the definition of freedom is so murky um, as well, but um, by Union forces and taken as so-called contraband. And contraband at the time enslaved people are often referred to as property. And so when enslaved people escaped um, from their enslavers and made it to the Union side, um, those people, some of those people who ran away were turned back, but some of them were who ran away were taken, captured by Union forces, and were deemed this quote-unquote contraband. And they were forced to work as cooks, as nurses and as laborers on fortifications and various other jobs. And of course, they were exploited in that labor as well. So they were quote unquote free, but then they were all in turn forced to do labor and they were exploited for it. So Cathay Williams in this, in this way worked as a servant and as a cook and worked laundering clothes. And she began traveling with the army across the country. And she was able to experience what life was like for soldiers during her travels. We have a lot more to discuss, listeners. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. 
So just to add here to that, before 1863, many Black men were allowed to unofficially enlist um, in the Union Army, though they were officially prohibited from enlisting in the U.S. Army. So after a, a lot of people's work um, who, who were in support of this, including abolitionists who advocated for it, Black people who were forming their own infantry units, and the passing of this thing called the Second Confiscation and Militia Act in 1862, in addition to the passing of the Emancipation Proclamation, so a consortium of things, um, the Union Army began actively pursuing the recruitment of Black soldiers. There were Black people who served in militias and in the military, um, and there's a history of women uh, serving as nurses and that sort of thing. But at this point, it was when Black people were encouraged to enlist. So uh, you might have heard the term Buffalo Soldier in other contexts, but um, there were Black soldiers who served largely in the West just after the Civil War, because in 1866, the Army Reorganization Act authorized the creation of Black regiments with Black enlisted men and white officers. So there's still that element of hierarchy and uh, supremacy. But there were several Black cavalry and infantry regiments that were established at that point. And serving in the army, even though we mentioned the quote-unquote contraband who were exploited for their labor, it was work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if you think about it in context of what their lives and conditions were like while they were under enslavement, um, there was money, there was food, there was shelter, and serving in the army had a lot of draw for enslaved people who were newly freed. But at the same time, women were still specifically forbidden from serving in the military. They contributed to the war effort in other ways as nurses and cooks, but more than 400 people who were assigned female at birth fought in the Union and Confederate armies during Mm -hmm. the Civil War. So just to reiterate here that we can only speculate at their gender identity because where right. it's not known or explicitly stated. Mm. Um, so they would do things like bind their breasts, cut their hair, and take different names to be able to participate in the army. So there's a long history of people who cross-dressed and a long history of people, trans people in the military and in militias in the U.S. generally. But um, Cathay Williams enlisted in St. Louis in November of 1866 under the name William Cathy or William oh. Cathay. Yeah. I love it. I love it. The old switcheroo. I don't think, I guess I could have gone with Reese. I couldn't be Reese Annie, could I? That doesn't, make, mm. that doesn't work. No, I like it. I like <laughs> yeah? it. Yeah. All right. Reese Annie. <laughs> I like looking off into the distance as you say this I know. name. Yeah. Like, what could she have My new identity is. Reese Annie. I actually really like that. <laughs> I tried really, really hard to get Reese to stick. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't. And then I tried really, really hard to get my middle name Hollis to stick, and then it backfired because kids are mean. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe a pin name in the future. I'll just switch things around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. This is a fun conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, so her enlistment papers have her at 22 years old at the time. 
they said that she had black eyes, black hair, and black complexion, and was five feet nine inches tall, which was something that worked in her favor at the time, uh, because the way they described physical exams, it seems like they weren't that extensive, um, and that being tall was a plus on the short list of things that got people to be able to be um, enlisted. So mm-hmm. she might have joined the army because it allowed her to have a better life than what she would have had otherwise, and that it would have also allowed her to live independently, which is something that she stated that she wanted in her life, to be able to do her own thing, make her own money, and support herself. Mm -hmm. She enlisted voluntarily for a three-year term, but she only served for a little more than two years in the 38th U.S. Infantry Company A, which was a Black unit. She went with her regiment to Fort Riley, to Fort Harker, to Fort Union, and Fort Cummings in New Mexico. Um, And life was tough, like it was for other people. The environment was rough. Um, There was racism. (laughs) And then they faced illnesses like cholera. So things coming from many directions. Mm. Um, But while she was serving, she actually caught smallpox and other illnesses and was frequently hospitalized. And while she was in Fort Bayard in New Mexico, she was diagnosed with neuralgia, which is pain caused by an irritated or damaged nerve. Oof. Yeah. So this is a thing that is prominent in her story, just like her frequently being in the hospital and talking about the illnesses that she had and what her condition was. And in October of 1868, she was discharged from the army. Um, There was a story about Cassie Williams that was published in the St. Louis Daily Times in January of 1976. Um, She said that she quote, got tired and wanted to get off, meaning that get out of the army. So she, Mm -hmm. quote, played sick. Um, And so she reported pains in her side and rheumatism in her knees. And she also said that the post-surgeon, quote, found out I was a woman and I got my discharge. The men all wanted to get rid of me after they found out I was a woman. Some of them acted real bad to me. So it's not really clear what she meant by real bad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so <laughs> disheartening. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. That when someone finds out your your gender or how you identify, and then they just all turn on you. Like right. Presumably, you would have had some friends or something in this, because they're soldiers, and usually there's a bonds that form. But yeah, doesn't sound like uh, too many people stuck by Cathay's side. Yeah, it is a lot that's left to the imagination there. So not really clear what real bad means, how many people knew, how that that happened, you know, what the actual instance of finding, quote-unquote, finding out, you know, (laughs) meant Mm -hmm. to men and what that looks like. So, uh, but yeah, just... The men saying the men all wanted to get rid of me could have could have been ostensibly could have been something that could have been very violent, you know. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, not really sure about that. But her discharge papers used uh, masculine pronouns to refer to her. There is no evidence that she ever saw direct combat during her years in the thirty eighth. 
And then after she was discharged, she became a cook at Fort Union and later moved to Pueblo, Colorado. So yeah, that's her story kind of heads back in that direction after her time spent in the military. And there are stories of her helping out her fellow soldiers and stuff like that, but has been said that a lot of it could be inflated in order to make her into this kind of heroic figure. Yeah, but she married a man. There's there's a story of her marrying a man and he robbed her and she had him arrested. Um, <laughs> We're no, Samantha and I are not. Like, are nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, have him arrested. <laughs> Get him. Yes. It was like, uh, I got the real-time reaction to the story while watching y'all. <laughs> you we shook our head. No, and he robbed her. Then yes, it was a whole roller coaster of emotion that happened in that. We sentences. went on it together. So dramatic. We were enthralled. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So her toes were amputated at a point, and and she walked with a crutch. Um, and she applied for a disability pension based on her military service around 1891, after she was hospitalized. Her request for pension was not approved. Um, unlike other women who had previously or who had otherwise served in the military, who who did get pension, but the pension bureau said she didn't have a disability and that her discharge. Certificate said that her condition predated her time in the military, so she was ineligible. But at this point, the details of the rest of her life are fuzzy and pretty much unknown. Her exact date of death is unknown, um, but it was believed that she died shortly after her pension was denied or sometime between 1892 and 1900. Which is upsetting because that, is, I mean, I don't know how accurate this is, but it gives me the impression she could have perhaps lived longer if that hadn't been denied. Yeah, I think that that's definitely kind of how the story, what the story leads us to believe, because there's so much missing in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and knowing what we do, I guess about, I mean, I guess we still don't even really know that much about how much her illnesses affected her. But um, yeah, it, it's. I really do wish that, that a lot of that stuff was was known um, about her life because it's unclear what happened then. And we're also not sure exactly how she looked. Like, there are some guesses at how she looked, but not sure exactly how she looked. Um, and people have also, going back to the point about, you know, her reports and tales of her heroic acts. I think people have called into question the significance of her legacy in general. And like inflating her, like they're inflating her status to this larger than life heroic figure and saying that other Black women likely did the same thing at the time Mm. and just didn't have their words documented, which probably is the case. Um, Saying that stories of her heroic acts with fellow soldiers have been really played up, but there's also the viewpoint that she didn't have to be a hero or, you know, flip the world upside down to be talked about today like we're talking about her today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say that. I mean, we don't, we don't hear a lot of these stories in any case. Um, and as, as we often say, when you bring us these women, Eves, it's always kind of like, well, I hadn't I heard of this person earlier. Um, yeah. 
And it's good to paint like a broader picture of just people who were doing these things. Um, like it'd be nice to have if, if in fact, which definitely is the case that more people were doing this, more women were doing this, um, and trans people and, uh, all, all of that. It'd be nice to have like that broader picture, but we're just missing so much history and so much information. Right. I think one of the big things to these stories is it's not, and it's not just a story and it's not something that was to them significant necessarily. Like, there's probably more women and more trans and more uh, queer women that were doing these things just because there was no other option. Kind of like how we um, talk about sometimes with kids in the military today, which is not at all the same situation, but they don't know a better option. And for that time, we don't know exactly where she was or where people were in their lives that they had to. And I can't imagine, especially... (laughs) During the Civil War, mm-hmm. <laughs> when your role is defined in such a minute way anyway, and you've been dismissed as an actual person, as an actual human for so long that you're having to try to prove yourself somehow. So the significance that she could endured so much during this time alone is historical. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. We do have a little bit more for you listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. People's stories are complex. And I think mm-hmm. that, uh, of course, we should think about how we remember people. Like, of course. Like, I feel like that's what we talk about in first. Because um, there, there are so many social implications of what a first is. Like, there's, there's already enough around that. So I think um, I do try to be careful around treat exalting a person or putting a person on a pedestal just because they're a first because there are a lot of firsts that people and and like I think it's obvious to everyone who's been listening to this series so far that like most of the the people have done good things we would consider quote-unquote good or morally good or um technically really cool and (laughs) (laughs) worthy official term (laughs) officially cool um And definitely keeping it in that realm because there are a lot of firsts that we don't and wouldn't speak about that are, you know, different contextually. Um, But also trying not to, even though these people are doing quote uh, officially cool things, that Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that that their entire lives were ones that we should model ours after or want to model ours after or that we should even treat them as heroes because of things like stories that weren't documented, you know, because of things (laughs) like people are whole people that like their career wasn't the entirety of their biography. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, we we should definitely, and and also a thing that I will say is that, I mean, uh, we, we leave it up to ourselves and to people once they have the stories to take with it and do what they want to. There is only so many hours in a day and years in a life to be able to study people's biographies so right it is like if you're inspired by the story then cool maybe you want to learn a bit a little bit more about it or about the context of it or about similar people and if it's not your cup of tea then don't don't roll with it 
But another cup. <laughs> get another cup. Um, maybe some coffee instead. Yes. <laughs> if you want the coffee, if you want the caffeine. I'm a tea person, but yeah, so yeah. And I think there are a lot of ways in which it's just really interesting about who we choose to talk about mm-hmm. and who we choose mm-hmm. to remember and and sort of focus on. And I feel many ways about about the situation specifically around Cathay Williams because I'm not a historian of her life or a historian, period. But I I think I have the grace, like I think that I have the grace to be able to say that I have a right to feel a way about it just personally. And it just kind of reeks of only wanting to give Black women and Black queer people the bare minimum Kind of just like the idea that so many Black stories are unworthy of telling and they have to hit this certain point to be able to be worthy of telling. And it's just like so many stories like Williams's have gone untold. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's not really a need to embellish or make it more than it was, but I'm cool with that. Like, I'm cool with an okay story. <laughs> I might be a little bit more bougie when it comes to actual film. I am not cool with an okay story if I'm watching like, a film or a television story. But, like, I was going to say, can, you don't like the based on the uh, true story no, versions? Based on the true story. Um, yeah, but it's no need to embellish it, but we can still uplift her story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be, we don't have to put on a pedestal necessarily. And... I'm here for telling stories. Uh, <laughs> I'm here for telling the stories of Black people that may have been mediocre at what they did. <laughs> you know, like being a first and being mediocre aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. Sometimes you have yeah, to work out the, uh, you know, you have to work out the details and get it right for the next person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's wrapped into kind of this expectation for Black folks to be superhuman and when they fall short of that, we might as well not even, you know, we might as well just throw them in the trash can of history. Um, yeah, so, like, all that said, too, going back to the first thing, it's like, we can take first with a grain of salt. Right. We, yeah. can, we can just treat them as an entry point. Um, and in contemporary terms, like at, at Cathay Williams' time, during that time, she may not have been that remarkable. Like, right. there very well could have been and probably were other Black women who did the same thing. and even if we knew a little bit more or a lot more about Cathay Williams' story than compared those to other Black women um, or Black queer people who served in the military at the time, maybe hers wasn't as, didn't have as many twists and turns. Who knows? Um, and mm-hmm. she may not have even been the first, you know? But the, mm-hmm. the first documented is what we have. Um, so you can decide for yourself whose story is worth delving into for you personally. and. That can be what it is, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> that can be what it is. I think a lot of these stories that we say and that you bring to us, it's not necessarily what we're talking about as the individual, but kind of the connotation of society at that time and even at this time of who they're willing to talk about, who they're willing to acknowledge and how they're willing to acknowledge it. That's also the bigger, not a bigger, but that's also a significant impact to these stories. It's not so much that not always trying to find that big stories. It's just that they're unwilling to tell the story. So trying to get that story to begin with, you have to garner that interest, which is absurd in itself. Because yeah, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, I blew up a whole 
tank or, you know, a village and rescued all these people and blah, blah, blah. You know, (laughs) that type of story story. to be significant. You watched that story? I got it. Uh I'm going to start this one. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there's big significance to be heard or to be seen and the problem of what was happening at that point in time and, again, her life kind of turning into dissipating, (laughs) essentially, and not knowing exactly what happened with whom and her being not being the first, but she's just being the first to be noticed. And mm-hmm. it is, again, like an impact of like what society is trying to say is it significant and isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, just a thought. Yeah. Um, and and we that's something we still talk about today when, as you were saying, Eves, that it, it, to me, like say a movie with uh, all women cast or all black cast or all black women cast comes out and there's so much pressure on it to perform well. <laughs> And be this amazing thing or else Mm -hmm. they'll never make another one again. Whereas there's just movie after movie after movie that's just mediocre white dudes. Mm -hmm. And there's not that same level of of expectation. And I would love to live in a world where, you know, there's tons of mediocre movies of all kinds to choose from. Yeah. And you like all of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, horror movies, I might might delve in. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I'm definitely with you on on all these points, Eve. And I'm glad that you brought this story story to us today. Yeah, um, and it also reminds me if anyone is a nerd like me and likes writing prompts, I have one for you because oh. when I took the GRE eons ago, um, there was a writing essay prompt where it was, "Can heroes ever exist?" in a world where you know almost everything about them. And I still think Mm. about that to this day. I still think about it. Well, that's because cancel culture, quote-unquote cancel culture, and calling in and calling out and all of that, I feel like it's wrapped up in that, and it's easy to slide that into the conversation as well. Yeah, I mean, that's true, because this was definitely a decade ago, I think. So I, I would have even more new thoughts. Maybe I'll I'll take my own essay prompt. Well, where, where did you <laughs> land? Like, I don't know if you can articulate that succinctly right now or you need that, that <laughs> you need the pen and the paper to to get uh, that out, but... I can't, I can't uh, be as prolific and uh, beautifully written mm-hmm. as that was. But I believe what I arrived at was there, are, there can be no heroes in the terms that I think a lot of people think of them, but if we change how we define hero, that they can definitely still exist. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's harder because uh, people are, if you know everything about them, they're going to let you down in some ways. That's just X. <laughs> yeah. um, but that doesn't mean that they can't be a champion for uh causes you believe in and helping out others and uplifting others and what their actions can mm-hmm. help others. And that's, in my opinion, heroic. Yeah, I feel that. But um, this is probably a whole whole other conversation, but I do think it's still relevant to Kathy Williams since we were getting into the hero yeah. talk. But it's easy to react viscerally and emotionally to that one thing in a person's life that may turn you off from all of the other yeah. acts you considered. Even if it's not logical, mm-hmm. if it's not, if it doesn't, if you still know deep inside that you respect that person for the other contributions that they have made to the world and to society's 
and maybe to your own community and maybe to you specifically, that if you learn something about someone that just kind of taints their whole history yeah. or all the things that they've done, it's, it's hard to brush that aside because it just lives in the pit yeah. of you. And sometimes you can't and sometimes you shouldn't. Yeah. Um, shouldn't is a weird word, but sometimes you should definitely, you should not dismiss a thing. You should have to, I'm using a lot of shoulds. I feel like I would <laughs> think you have to sit with that and deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So but it's complicated. I'm, you know, deep yeah. issues to end on this. That's the opposite <laughs> realm where they just turn a blind eye to everything because you want yes. them to be the ultimate heroes. Therefore, yes. you not only yeah. do you excuse them, mm-hmm. you will not allow for others to see mm-hmm. anything beyond that either. And that is the opposite of that. And you, this hero worship, this God worship yes. of people who are very, very fallible. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. This is very simple of me, but this just reminds me of like my favorite musicians who can do no wrong in my yeah. eyes. <laughs> like, I didn't really like that album, but I don't care. Right. <laughs> you know, the album like had a lot of songs that I skipped, but you know, I don't see it. Yeah. I don't see it. I don't know. <laughs> I love this. We've really, Kathy Williams has brought out bringing out a lot of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Theoretical, well, theoretical ideas. Yeah. I would love. I'm gonna. I'm gonna think more on this hero essay now that I'm older. Um, and I would love if listeners, you know, if you're looking for an essay prompt, send it our way. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I had a little bit more. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. it's really not hey, much. Damn, it's not she's much. Like, nope, we're done. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. Not much, but I just want to add this. Just contextually, just for the story, I mean, there's a a lot that we can study and think about today in terms of gender in the military. Um, There are topical, very relevant issues today um, that I think that Kathy Williams' story can lead to. Um, And also think about in terms of contemporary times when Kathy Williams was alive, the fact that she and other quote-unquote contraband were freed and then exploited to labor by the supposed or who we would think of as the good white people, like the good, the mm-hmm. people who we consider to be morally upstanding and what that means um, for you. And generally what it means to have served for the U.S. Um, as a Black person, whether it was out of principle or the need to survive. So whether it was a moral thing for you or whether it was a existential thing for you. So it's very complicated. And also I want to say that it wasn't until 1948 when the Women's Armed Service Integration Act allowed women to serve as permanent, regular members of the armed forces in all branches of the military. So in the end, Kathy Williams has gotten recognition, um, regardless of, of the complications around her legacy in terms of in 2016, she was honored with the bronze bust in Kansas outside of the Richard Allen Cultural Center. And they declared Friday, July 22nd, 2016, Kathy Williams Day. So... That's something um, to to mention in terms of how we think about her legacy and and how she was recognized. But yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> Just wanted to add that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you, thank you for bringing this story to us and having a early Wednesday morning chat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> where can the good listeners find you? You can find me online on Twitter. I'm at Eve's Jeff Code. On Instagram, I'm at Not Apologizing. You can also listen to me on This Day in History class, which is a daily show about history that talks about not Kathy Williams specifically, but other people <laughs> in history who have interesting stories and 
um, other events that happened in history and also an unpopular, which is a show about people who were often persecuted for standing up for the things that they believed in. And you can learn about other cool biographies and histories there. Technically cool. Technically cool. <laughs> I'm going to use that in my everyday now. So thanks for that as well. <laughs> um, and you can email us, listeners, send your essays about heroes our way. Um, our email is stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.